Here's your host, Kevin Warren. Mike Boynton grew up in Brooklyn, New York, playing basketball at a very early age after following his dad around the parks of New York City. Life took a very hard turn early with the loss of his only brother, but found enough success to rise up in the college assistant coaching ranks to become the head coach at Oklahoma State University at age 35. Mike talks about the influences in his life that led him to his relationship with Christ. Born in 1982 in Brooklyn, I asked Mike to start there. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, the son of Michael Boynton Sr. and Millicent Boynton, uh, two hardworking blue-collar uh, folks who um, who uh, raised their children to to really respect one another, to work hard, and, and to understand that education uh, would be the foundation of all they wanted to achieve in life. I have four sisters, three older, one younger, and um, I joke with people all the time that I got into sports uh, because I couldn't get into the bathroom at home. <laughs> Uh, and so as a young boy growing up with four sisters, it was a challenge uh, being around uh, four, four sisters and my mom uh, often. Uh, my dad worked as a, as a runner and a broker at the New York Stock Exchange for a company called Charles Schwab. And my mom uh, was a primarily a, a homekeeper, but also spent some time working in retail at some sporting goods stores uh, in Brooklyn. And so um, mom was home. Uh, almost every day and, and, and made sure when we got home from school, the first thing we did was do our homework. Which, uh, I'm raising young kids now and they don't always have homework, which sometimes still confuses me. Um, and, and then before we can go outside and play with our friends or do anything extracurricular, we had to take care of our academic responsibilities. So uh, that was the start of my life. Um, and sports has always been a big part of that. Baseball was my favorite sport growing up as a kid still is a sport I, I, I hold dear to my heart. Uh, but basketball caught my my attention quite early uh, as I would travel around with my dad uh, and watch him play in different parks uh, and at different rec leagues around New York City. Uh, a lot of times with his co-workers after work or on the weekends. Uh, and then I think I was about six or seven years old when I first got introduced to organized basketball with a team of my own. Um, and, and that was through a, a, a program called the Police Athletic League in New York City. Um, and then subsequently got to play in some other youth leagues and, and really became really, really in love with the game of basketball and have, have been a part of basketball teams every year of my life since then. Mike, uh, any of your sisters gravitate toward sports at all? No. Uh, in fact, none of my sisters played any sports. Uh, of, of any degree and, and didn't even really come support me when I was playing that much when I was younger. Uh, but it's interesting enough, they all have children of their own um, and they all have children that are into sports themselves. So they've become <laughs> sports parents, uh, even though they weren't into sports uh, when they were growing up. Mike, as we go through talking about you know uh, growing up and, and uh, becoming an adult and where you are now, um, you've had tragedies in your life, but man, you were introduced um, to tragedy at a very early age. Um, I was reading one account uh, when you were five years old and, and your, your mom was pregnant and 
and mom yeah. and dad go to the hospital, you're you're expecting a little brother to come back with them. Talk about that experience. Yes, uh, probably one of the more, as I think about it now, one of the more defining moments of my life. And at five years old, you don't know that. And it doesn't even make sense that someone would say something could be life-defining uh, at five years old. But, yeah, that was a difficult moment for our family. Uh, my mom and dad, like we said, was three girls already and myself as a boy. And they were, I think, I think, they've never said this because I don't know if they wanted my little sister to feel bad, but uh, I think they wanted another boy. And they got pregnant and was due to have a boy. I uh, picked out a name and you know, done the nursery thing, and, and we had all kind of plans for uh, for a boy to come into the world in 1987. My mom goes into labor uh, and has some complications during labor and respiratory issues, and um, my little brother was born and subsequently died in the hospital during that time. And so, you know, when my mom leaves. Um, I'm thinking that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a little brother and I can't wait to, you know, play with him and you know, wrestle with him and have him and him and dad and I go to places and do things together. And, you know, um, and when he when he doesn't come home, it's kind of confusing at first because how how does the baby not come home from the hospital? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it was a difficult moment. Uh, and now I look back and I realize that it was something that um, that that in some way has helped me because it it taught me a valuable lesson on the, on the value of life uh, and on the meaning of relationship. Uh, and it's why so much of my life has been based on having genuine <clears throat> relationship with people who I come into contact with, because I know how easily or how unfortunate things can turn out in a negative way that life can be, you know, stricken from or, or, um, you know, derailed or whatever, whatever the word is that you want to use. But, I still think about my little brother to this day, although I never got a chance to see him or meet him. I still have in my mind what I thought he would look like, uh, what I thought he would be like. And I still have thoughts in my mind about the things that we would have been able to do together. And and I'm 41 now, so he would have been in his 36 or so. And and, I still think about if our kids would be friends and our wives would be friends and all the things that, you know, you think about in life. So no question that that was a a critical time and certainly still a, a big loss. In those uh, times when you dream, Mike, um, did you always beat him one on one, or did did he beat you? You know what? I, I really have this, this. This this has always been the way I have envisioned it. He never beat me, <laughs> but he was better than I. <laughs> like like he he became the NBA star or the NFL star, and I was never quite good enough to get there. But he would come home and I'd kick his butt at the family reunion <laughs> all the time. You know. <laughs> Listen, I, I, Mike, I appreciate that because that that obviously is a very sad story, but that's that's a uh, really cool way to think about what could have been. So you grow up, you're playing a lot of basketball. You're good enough, obviously, to play college basketball. You chose South Carolina. Why South Carolina? What were some of the other choices that you had? Yeah, so it's uh, I was an above average basketball player as a young kid, uh, maybe really good, even if you know, someone would describe me at that point. Um, and so I was good enough to be recruited because growing up in New York City at the time, it was a big deal. Uh, I was the most valuable player of the Catholic School uh, Basketball League, which is you know kind of the top-tier basketball league for high school kids in that city. And uh, my, During my junior years, when I really started to get recruited, 
and I was recruited by Hofstra and Seton Hall and St. John's and uh, obviously South Carolina, where I ultimately ended up going. Uh, but my senior year, I took three official visits. Uh, I took one to South Carolina. It was my first one. Uh, I took a visit to Boston College, and I took a visit to UMass, University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And I ultimately chose South Carolina uh, in large part because of the relationship uh, and the honesty I felt that Eddie Fogler, who was the coach at the time, had recruited me with. Uh, he was very, you know, he was very transparent about the opportunity. Uh, he was very serious about challenging me on the court, but also academically and really wanting to pour into uh, my development as a person. He never told me that he would retire after my freshman year in college, though. <laughs> That was the that was the curveball I got thrown just a few, yeah. few months later. <laughs> now, did you end up playing all four years then at South Carolina? I did. I did. I uh, started in in uh, August of 2000 uh, and had varying degrees of success and experienced some failures there. It's no question. Uh, but after Coach Fogler retired uh, after my first at the end of my freshman year, I did contemplate whether I should leave, and, and I'm kind of thankful that the rules aren't as lax as they are now, because I don't know if I would have been strong enough to think uh, that it would be best for me to stay because without having to sit, you know, back then you had to sit out and, you know, start over and, you know, find another situation and go through the recruiting process again. So I just kind of found my way and coach Odom, Dave Odom, who came in from Wake Forest, um, you know, really helped me grow as a man. And uh, it was probably the best thing that happened to me was not having the opportunity to leave South Carolina after my freshman year um, without having to sit out. And so I stayed there for four years, got my degree in three and a half, was able to start on the Masters. I was able to develop tremendous relationships uh, and, and now still feel like I'm connected to the school. Uh, and it's one of the things that, not to get off topic, but you know, in this age of the transfer portal, you got guys who played at three or four schools sometimes. And you know, where do they go for their Letterman's reunion, like mm-hmm. where do they go for for alumni, you know, stuff? Who do they connect with? You know, and mm-hmm. I feel sad that the, a lot of these kids are missing out on those valuable things. They don't think about that. Is is probably what's going on? That they'll they'll connect. the repercussions will come later, but they're they're just all about what is good for me now. I want I want yeah. to ask you too, uh, Mike. Where did you get the faith that you have now? Was it developed? In uh, in the home, or did it start to develop in college? Where did becoming a, a Christian uh, really become important for Mike Boynton? Yeah, that's an unbelievable question. And, and I'm, you know, my grandmother, Fannie Mae Boynton, who still live, resides in Swainsboro, Georgia, a small town in East East Georgia, um, was a extremely faithful and, and, and uh, faith based person. She's my dad's mom. Um, and she tried as hard as she could to force me into the church when I was a kid. And I tried as hard as I could to get as far away from her as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't think it was important, and I didn't understand the value. And quite honestly, she went to a um, a Baptist church in Brooklyn where we grew up. Um, and we would go there on the weekends, and sometimes I thought, you know, I want to do anything I can to get out of this place before we're here for three and a half hours. Uh, but that's what my experience was with church. Other than my grandmother wanting to pray for every and anything and everyone she could possibly ever think of. And so she planted the seed in my heart and in my mind 
And even though I resisted it for a long time, there just continued to be things that happened in my life that I knew wasn't pure coincidence. There's just not that much coincidence in the world. And ultimately, what the seed she planted would have nurtured uh, and really, really manifested itself when I was in college. Uh, I met a guy named Chris Levy Johnson, who uh, I consider one of my best friends in the world now. He's a pastor at a church called Brooklyn Baptist Northeast in Columbia, South Carolina. But he actually was a professor at the University of South Carolina when I was a freshman. And one of my first classes on that campus was taught by him. And I took a liking to him, and we developed a great relationship. And he kept pouring into me and ultimately became the person who baptized me as an adult. Because uh, I do believe that there's a difference uh, when you make that choice yourself as opposed to you know, getting baptized because your parents tell you you're going to get baptized uh, on this Sunday at church service when you're a kid. Uh, he since has married uh, my wife and I and has now baptized both of our children. Uh, and so uh, it's just been a, a myriad of people in my life and circumstances and situations that have shown me that there's there are no coincidences, coincidences, excuse me. Uh, there's just faith and faith drives every decision I make. Uh, they don't always feel good, but I'm always, always trying to be conscious of the impact that has on, uh, my Lord and Savior and how he views my time here on earth. I find it interesting because you, you mentioned, uh, Jenny, uh, your wife and South Carolina. And what's interesting is that when you were there as a player, uh, that's not when you met, right? It was when you came back as a coach. That's when you connected with her, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, coincidences. I'm, I'm back <laughs> in Columbia uh, around the, the, the pastor and the person who who um, really kind of started to stir this back up that my grandmother had planted in me. And I meet this woman that I never intended on meeting myself. Um, I had convinced myself in all honesty, that I would maybe not get married, uh, that it wasn't something that was that important. Um, and, you know, again, I kept being shown this is the way. <laughs> and so we met over breakfast one day, and it actually wasn't a breakfast that we intended on having together. Uh, it was a breakfast that she was overseeing, and I was just going to eat. And so um, I go over to the buffet to get some food, and I'm going through the line, and I pick up a couple pieces of bacon, uh, to put on my plate because I love bacon. I still do. Um, and I hear this voice across the other side of the buffet. and It says, is that enough? It's the only thing I heard. And I'm thinking to myself, why would somebody be questioning how much bacon I'm eating <laughs> here? And, and more to the point, who are you, person? You know? <laughs> and so I, I look up and I see this beautiful woman standing across me and she's like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, portion control is important. I'm like, well, maybe for some people, but you don't know me. I don't need portion control. I'm not an athlete anymore. Um, and, you know, we, we short talked there for a few minutes and then exchanged you know, contact. I remember sending her an email telling her thanks for the advice on my nutrition. Uh, and, that I, and then I offered to take her to lunch so she could uh, continue to give me some education. But that was the start of our relationship. Um, and, you know, some long talks and some, you know, some courting, if you will, over the next, you know, couple of years and in 2011 we were married and have two kids that are now 10 and 7 years old yeah i wanted to ask you and and i, I noticed uh in wikipedia there was one line that said that you you have uh older children 
Is that uh, something that that uh, developed when you were in in college at South Carolina? Uh, that's true. I've got uh, an older daughter named Samaya, uh, who's now um, living in Atlanta, working at um, Emory Hospital. Uh, I have another daughter who's a sophomore at um, NYU. Uh, Samaya was born when I was in high school, and so, like I said, I resisted I resisted the Christian part of my life for quite some time uh, until I was back in in the graces of Jenny and Chris in Columbia. Uh, and so, absolutely, um, you know. That's, that's factual. Um, my children mean the world to me. Uh, I still, you know, do everything I can to support and, and, and encourage their uh, development in life and their education. Uh, beautiful girls, and um, you know, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for Jenny for accepting all of us into her life uh, when when she did. And so it's been uh, it's been truly remarkable to see how God's worked to bring everything in my life together mm-hmm. in such a uh, in such a way that. It wouldn't be disrupt- disruptive to anyone, um, even though it wasn't necessarily ideal uh, in a way that most people would think. Well, and I understand that, Mike, because I'm a stepfather. Uh, when I met my wife, my uh, stepdaughter was 10. Mm-hmm. And so I welcomed her. I was I was grateful to be her stepfather. She still had a father uh, and who is still alive and active in her life. But I welcomed that. Uh, into my life. And then I too have two other children with my wife as well. So I, I certainly understand the dynamic from Jenny's, you know, uh, point of view. I know when I became the program director of this network, I thought I was ready for something. And then when I got into it, it was like, oh my word, Lord, I need you now more than ever because I'm, you know, there's so much going on here that I didn't know about. Did you find yourself in a situation at first where you were overwhelmed maybe with with everything, not only just to be a, a D1 head coach, Mike, but to be one at a school like Oklahoma State that has so much history behind it. Absolutely. Um, th- there's just so much more to the job than you ever imagined. Um, I-, I tell people this all the time. I was an assistant coach for 13 years before I became a head coach. And the further into the business I got, the more I thought – that my head coaches acted like they were busy all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, man, these guys always act like they got so much going on. Like, you know, because <laughs> I'm just focused on, you know, what I have to do for the program, whether maybe I'm recruiting two or three guys, or maybe I have a third of the scouts, or maybe I've got to, you know, whatever. Or i got to work out with a couple of position guys or whatever. And, and, and never imagine that I think about, right, your perspective matters. In, in, a, in a lot of parts of life, but never more importantly than when you are responsible for the entirety of an organization. And so, so now I realize, well, not only was like Brad Underwood, for example, who was my most recent you know, head coach that I worked for, not only was I as an assistant coach bringing him names of people to call, well, so were the other two assistant coaches. So, so maybe if he didn't get to the third or fourth kid that I asked him to call, it's because he called two guys from each of us that night. And then the the AD asked him to call two big donors because we're trying to build this new facility or uh, um, his wife and children need some time at home or whatever, or let alone his own personal time for himself. <laughs> uh, and so you don't think about those things. You just don't because you don't understand it because you've never been in that chair. And so there's no question there was a sense of overwhelmingness when you get the job and every decision that has to be made 
ends at your desk for your signature, essentially, right? Yeah. Are we going to play these games? Well, everybody may have their ideas, but it comes to your desk for final approval. Um, how are we going to travel? Um, who's going to start? Who are we going to recruit? Um, all those things go into the head coach's decision. Now, you have to have really good people around you to kind of decipher the information, um, but people still want to know ultimately where you stand on it before they move. Uh, so, yes, it can be very overwhelming, the amount, the volume of the work that has to be done. Uh, not necessarily the difficulty of it, but there's a lot that has to be done that needs your oversight or approval before it gets done. And so I think for probably the first three months, I just had my head down and I don't know if I came up for air. <laughs> but I still I also don't know if how much we actually got done, you know, yeah. uh, just trying to sort through it all. But I, I'm thankful for the learning the opportunity to learn on the job. Um, the first thanks of that goes to uh, Coach Holder, who took the chance on a 35-year-old who had never been a head coach before, and the Board of Trust, who Board of Regents, uh, who, who entrusted this program that's got great tradition and a great following uh, to a young man who needed to learn a lot, uh, but also to our fans, not all of which who were completely on board immediately, but who rallied around us and have developed a great uh, sense of support for myself and for the kids in the program. Well, it's very difficult not to. You you have such an infectious personality. Uh, guys like me who are Christians, uh, I love what you stand for and the fact that you are out there um, publicly uh, wearing your Christianity on your sleeve. But that that begs another question because you talk about you know all of the stuff that comes with basketball, which is so much. Uh, you've got a family, um, and then there. Are social issues, and I loved I loved the letter that you posted in 2020, uh, right after George Floyd's death, um, on Twitter. And I don't I'm sure you remember the letter, but you had four distinct points that, as a black man, you were hoping that people would read and and consider, you know, uh, moving forward as a as a as humans and how we treat each other. And number one on that list was to trust God fully. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not easy. This world challenges you every day, and it, and it puts you in a position of whether you really want to believe. Um, and why is because things don't go the way we want them to go. And, and I think that's the ultimate measure of our faith is how faithful we are then, Right not necessarily when we sign a number one recruit and he goes and becomes the number one pick in the draft, but on the day, three days before the season, when the NCAA calls and says, your team's going to be banned from postseason this year. How faithful can you be then? How faithful can you be um, you know, when you're on a five-game losing streak versus just being on a five-game winning streak, which our team did this past season. Mm -hmm. Those are the moments that really define do you really believe or are you fair-weathered in your faith and only when it goes well. And so that's why I always try to remind myself that even in the midst of difficult moments, God is good and he's working on something here that's supposed to teach me a lesson and that my responsibility in those moments is as people are watching because people watch you much more when things aren't going well. Because that's the time they want to try to use uh, to take advantage of. Uh, and so my job is to make sure I'm an example for the young men in our program about how to deal with adversity, how to respond to a difficult moment, how to respond to a bad call, 
or some criticism or whatever it is because those are really character-building moments. Uh, and I believe as you go through sport, it's just a microcosm of life. Losing a basketball game sometimes is like like I did when I was five years old, losing a, losing a relative, losing a, a brother, you know. Um, and so learning how to manage yourself in those moments and really trust God that, that there's something to be learned here uh, is invaluable. And I'm certainly thankful that, again, Fannie Mae Boynton really planted that seed, and she tried as hard as she could to nurture that thing when I was five, six, seven, eight years old, and I resisted. And I'm really thankful for Chris Levy Johnson for reinvigorating that uh, and, and really seeing that thing grow through, and Jenny Boynton for being there with me every step of the way since we've been married going on 12 years now. That's so awesome. Mike, thank you so much for your time, man. This is, uh, this is everything I hoped it would be. I know a lot of people who... Uh, may not know a lot about your story after hearing this uh, are going to be fans of yours. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. So I got to sit up, sit up, because you ain't going to let up.